Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 334 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is 2022 for the first time on this show, and I'm joined, as I often am, by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. It's not baseball season, but it's 2022. It is not baseball season. Uh, I do want to send my condolences to my diehard Michigan Wolverines fan who had a tough uh, semifinal round of the college football playoffs. Uh, I will say I was pulling for your squad just to, you know, (laughs) Just in the hopes that I could, you know, you know, see some joy in your life. But uh, as it turns out, that's not really how it worked out. But I, I think our you know. listenership uh, was not rooting for me. And that's OK. I'm OK with that. Uh, that you're certainly a heavy underdog. In that yeah, that's yeah. A, and that's a, listen. I, uh, I made sure the entire time to not talk any noise because I and I said multiple times that I thought Michigan was going to lose the game and they lost the game. So, yeah, it was, was, it, was, it, was, it, was it was worse than good. I thought it was going to be. I got to be honest about that. It was worse than I thought. But um, they I wasn't like shake it to my core i kind of expected it to not go very well so a nice season anyway yeah, it's a good George, it's a good georgia team happy for the georgia fans out there for sure indeed uh and thanks for starting this podcast on that note eric i really appreciate that that's a nice uh, lifting I, I, I am nothing if not a man of the people uh no notice no warning just send me down the spiral here on january 9th um <laughs> it's fine uh i mean honestly people know the deal at this point about baseball as it is at the moment um we do have continuing coverage of the Braves and of baseball on the site and also the Daily Hammer with Sean. Sean's doing great work on Daily Hammer twice a week, three times a week, something like that. Um, we have not done a podcast um, on the TC show in a couple of weeks since Scott and I talked pre-Christmas and that was kind of by design and nothing's happened. I mean, quite literally nothing has happened. We're now six weeks in, into the lockout. Um, there's not been a single negotiating session from two sides. Um, the last report from Jeff Passan, uh, who of course loves Scott, um, reported Love uh, Jeff, Jeff did that the next proposal is going to be hopefully on the league side, according to the PA, with what, the, what they think. But um, February 1st is like a date people keep circling is like when stuff needs to be talking again. Cause like, I guess there's just nothing on the agenda, which drives me insane. I don't know how you feel about that. Like just the fact that they have not been talking the last few weeks it's kind of enraging um, if you are someone trying to uh, be invested in baseball and it's more like symbolic than anything else. Like no one thought it was going to get done in January, but like, how about just like do a fake session? Like, give me something, give me some negotiating, give me some leak of some kind, but man, it's just been absolute silence. I, I will say that I'm certain that there's some informal talks type happening, like, and, but I don't think it's on the big issues. Right. Um, but I'm with you. You know, obviously with the holidays, I don't think anyone expected like them to be negotiating on Christmas Eve or anything like that. But at the same time, 
there's a lot of issues that need to be worked through and that's including like big rules changes like maybe a pitch clock or a dh you know whether i expanded playoffs but i think all of those things are being used as negotiating positions for each side for varying reasons over the big economic issues that are in play and that makes it really problematic to get any sort of discussion started because it just seems like both sides are speaking completely different languages. The players want to know where all these revenues are coming from. They want to have justifications as to why the league keeps saying, you know, if we do things your way, that all like X teams will no longer be profitable and can't function. They want proof of that. These teams will not show their books. The league will not show their books. There's this, there's even, there's not even an agreement as to what shareable revenue is. Right. And yep. if, though, if we're, if we're, if we're not even there, we're nowhere. And the league is just, it feels like the league has a position of, we like things the way they are now. Of course. The players are, the players are like, we don't let's come to the middle and make an understanding here. And the league is just saying, no, we'll wait you out. And Which is basically what happens in almost every negotiation between yep. billionaires and millionaires is because the, the billionaires usually just hold out for longer and that's how things go. But uh, it is, um, maddening, and that's one of the reasons why. And that's go down this rabbit hole. That's one of the reasons why they can't do a salary cap in baseball is because, Correct. in order to do a salary cap, you have to understand what baseball revenue is, and the owners will not even like begin to talk about what is what and what counts. Because that's the thing. There's always a negotiation in football or in basketball about like what counts as related income, but they still have to like show their work and actually and reveal and they will what not, the money is and they won't do it. And so. they will, and they will not like they will. And baseball is particularly bad about showing books. Right. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a, and, there are two you know, teams over, that do two. And, and even then they can, they can cook the books because they're publicly traded. And one of them is the Braves, by the way, at least they have to present something, but 28 of the 30 teams can just present nothing if they want to. Yep. And it's, 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 it's super frustrating because the owners and the league rely on one central truth in terms of what the fan base believes it's that they have no problems with billionaires locking things up and wanting more money but the instant the players start saying they want more money that they rely on fans with the outcry you are already getting paid millions to play a game just shut up and play the game and they rely on that public pressure now it didn't work particularly well in 2020 because what happened is that the, 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 I mean, the leadership under Tony Clark has been suspect at best for the players union. He cared about <laughs> things they shouldn't have cared about. Uh, and they should have cared more about these economic issues during the last round of negotiations, as opposed to like weird little perks for, for players that ultimately didn't cost that much money, didn't give them that much benefit and cost them very large things in those negotiating ses- sessions. But the smartest thing they ever did was when the league threatened to just be like, well, we're just not going to agree to that. And we're just, we can always go with this level of this long of a season was them saying in 2020, fine, we'll just, just tell us when and where and we'll play. And the, and the, the biggest bungle, I think of Manfred's like, I guess, negotiating career is when he said, never mind if they don't, if you don't waive the right to file a grievance, then we're just not going to have a season at all. Right. And that, that, that changed the entire tenor of the negotiations. And a few days later, we ended up having an agreement for, you know, the 60-day season, and it was, it was a done deal. I don't know if there's something like that in play for the players right now. I don't know if they're like the overarching grievance over the 2020 season is like, I'm sure it's affecting the tenor of these negotiations, but, you know, is that even like a part of the discussion right now in terms of what 
you know, what is on the table that could or could not be pursued. It's a mess. And it's not, it's not something like, you know, we want to have this many rounds in the draft or we want to have this many days in the season. It's not an issue like that. It's the economics of baseball. And this is something that, you know, is worth a lot of money to a lot of people. I'm a little bit skeptical right now because I, if, if, if I thought a deal was going to get done that wasn't going to mess up spring training, I would have thought they would have already been talking, but they haven't been. The two sides hate each other. They don't trust each other at all. And they haven't been talking. And all the issues that they're going to be talking about are not small. If that's the case, I'm very skeptical that at the very least spring training doesn't get messed up right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, maybe we'll do a whole like deep dive on this thing, but it does seem like they have to get going fairly soon, but it's not dire at this moment. And we'll do some of that later on if we want to, but it's, yeah, uh, if we don't, if I'll just say, if we don't hear like them actually meeting and talking this week, I'm just go ahead and pencil me in as, in the camp that spring training's already going to get screwed up. Yeah. I, mean, I think that honestly, I think it is more likely than not that spring training will be affected. Now you can take that wherever you want to take it. Like, affected in what way is obviously the next the next portion of that sentence but uh i would i think it's more likely than not that they are not um following the agreed upon normal schedule between training is my guess but we'll see yeah i hope i'm wrong about that um the only other thing that happened in terms of like baseball stuff in the last couple of weeks is not even necessarily on if it's not on the on the field at all but uh i am wondering if you have a take on quite literally the only baseball story and that's the ken rosenthal thing with MLB Network, in which it seems as if, uh, if you read the reporting from Andrew Marchand, um, that uh, someone high up at Major League Baseball, uh, i.e. probably Rob Manfred, did not enjoy Ken Rosenthal uh, criticizing him, in my mind, pretty mildly back in 2020. And uh, that might have been uh, a big part, or at least some part, of him not being renewed at MLB Network. And uh, I, I kind of shared a little bit of this on, 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 on Twitter, where I kind of talked about how you know, it's, it's Rob Manfred. What do you expect? Basically, like he's very bad at his job, but I wonder what you think uh, about that whole thing, because uh, I mean, one of the things that's crazy about it is that if that happens during the season or if it happens at a normal time, it doesn't get covered nearly like it did. But another feather in the cap of Rob Manfred is to have this all happen when there's nothing else to talk about so that everyone talks about this. <laughs> so I have a couple thoughts. One, the idea that a network would impl- willingly employ Harold Reynolds versus Ken Rosenthal cracks me up to no end uh, because there's a lot, there's, I won't say a lot. There are several people at that network that have gotten jobs to shield them from, you know, just to kind of keep them afloat and shield them from possible responsibility. Uh, looking at you, John Hart, for example, uh, there's other guys who are not good at their jobs or just not good analysts and that they're employed at the NLB network versus Ken Rosenthal, who particularly around like free agency not so much the draft, but the trade deadline, just transactions in general. He co- certainly is always involved. If he's not breaking the big stories, I think Jeff Passan's kind of taken the, the reins a bit more in terms of like the big sort of investigative type stories in a lot of ways. Uh, Rosenthal will certainly p- chat, chime in here and there. I mean, it, it's those two in their own tier, yeah, really. The, in terms the, of that, that, that's, the, that's the conversations between those two guys. Yeah. But in terms of transactions and all that stuff, like Rosenthal, if he's not the best, he's again right there with Passan. I think a couple things can be true here. One is that I do not think that Ken Rosenthal is cheap to employ whatsoever. Uh, I think that the athletic has put a bunch of money into making sure that they have him around. 
I think that Fox has certainly invested a certain amount and they make sure they have him around and that MLB network is really going to miss him around those big event days, like the openings of free agency, winter meetings, the trade deadline and things like that. I just don't think guys like Morrissey are even in the same, like we're talking about in the same universe, but I could see a world where the cost to retain him combined with the fact that he hasn't always towed the company line as it were. Um, and that they decide that he was not worth that. I disagree with that assessment because I think that one of the things that people turn into the MLE network for isn't just like the, the retrospective pieces about like, you know, like old world series runs and all this other stuff. I think one of the reasons people turn into MLE network is like to get the news of the day, similar to how sports center used to function where you could actually watch baseball on sports center versus what it is now, which I frankly couldn't tell you. So and he's really good for that sort of stuff. Just get updates on like negotiations or there'd be contract negotiations or, you know, what teams are involved with who those rumors and stuff like that. That's one of the things he's really good at and they're going to lose that. And I think that that's one of the big draws for the network. Now, I don't know how much he was requiring, but it's also very concerning, especially when he points in his, when, when his tweet comes out after the, the stories reported that, you know, he's like, I'm never going to, you know, sacrifice my investing, you know, my journalistic, journalistic integrity. It feels like, that there was real pressure. Like he got suspended kind of informally by the network. Just basically wasn't on air for three months after, after that, they just didn't talk about it. Brought him back right before the trade deadline because you don't want to lose those eyeballs during trade deadline season, but <laughs> was effectively, effectively taken off, effectively taken off the air for a few months after that. And then he's not renewed this year. And I think that that's really concerning and brings to the front, the concerns that everyone should have about a league owning a network and understanding that that is not an unbiased point of view that the league itself has interests that are not in the fans interests and are not in the players interests they're in their interest and when they start trying to color what is being reported not not all leagues are like this right like there are plenty of folks at like nfl.com nba i mean that it might piss off the league and it might irritate them when they break things or they you know talk about things in certain ways but that's not necessarily being colored by what the league wants to happen Whereas it does seem like at least partially that the moves that are being made and the decisions that are being made are in an effort to try to portray the league in an inaccurate and more flattering light. And that's concerning. Yeah, that's uh, it's all well said. And uh, to your point about his uh, Rosenthal's tweet, I think that was not an accident. The, uh, the part about his impartial reporting was not an accident that he included that. I'm fairly no. sure. Uh, no. So yeah, we can, We'll never know, but uh, I feel comfortable in saying that uh, it, it just isn't. It, it's, a, it's a terrible look for baseball, terrible look for the network, terrible look for the commissioner's office, and nothing new there as it uh, as it happens regularly. Okay, yeah, uh, Manfred is not good at his job or selling the fact that he's good at his. He's job. He's really Neither not. The... Nor does he enjoy baseball, which is uh, a problem. Um, anyway, we yep. can do Rob yep. Manfred hour later on. We'll probably do it at, at ten other points during this offseason. But um, okay, it's time to move on. Our main objective on the show today is going to be talking about the outfield a bit. We have talked about the bullpen already. Um, that has happened uh, in terms of the uh, the course of uh, of talks in this offseason. As we're I'm trying to spread this out, but it, it's time for good old fashioned outfield deep dive. What's going on right now? Take a talk about what, what the Braves have. What, how guys were last season, uh, the young guys, which is, of course, your area of expertise. Uh, we'll get into all of that in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. 
but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Eric, let us talk about the outfield, shall we? Um, We shall, we shall, we shall. uh, It goes without saying that uh, this is not the finished product. Normally when we do uh, these, we kind of do a review and a preview. And this time it's kind of like a all encompassing because we don't know what's going to happen and everything's on pause, but we know some of what's going on. We know who the candidates are. We know what's kind of the landscape is right now. So we'll save like the what if stuff for at the end, but I want to start with Ronald Acuna, who is pretty good at baseball. Uh, seems yep, like a pretty conservative yep. thing to say, but um, he just turned 24 years old. He, of course, had the ACL surgery on July 21st. So we're almost six months away from that. He may not need a full year because, you know, he's a freak. Um, and there's been videos of him circulating, hitting uh, in BP. I'm, I know you saw that video. Um, I, don't know, I, I did, I did. One, But uh, he looks good. Um, but, you know, I want to stress it's still well, not even six months since he had ACL surgery. So he's probably not ready to play right now. Um, but is it's worth noting he was the front runner for ML for NL MVP when he got hurt last year, um, 82 games, 24 home runs, 17 stolen bases. He slugged almost 600. He had a 157 WRC plus. He's a good defender, all that fun stuff. Uh, everybody knows that he's really good, but it's just kind of worth looking at the numbers every once in a while and be like, Oh yeah, he was on pace for, you know, 45 homers and 35 ish steals. And uh, he obviously could have tilled off a little bit, but if he, if the season ended when he got hurt, he would have won the MVP. And uh, having that guy around, I know people's kind of not that people have forgotten about Ronald Acuna. That's not the case, but they won the World Series. <laughs> so uh, uh, people, he wasn't, he has not been the number one focus as he probably will be coming into this season. Uh, he's, he's pretty good. And it's nice to have that guy around, whether he's playing center field, right field, DH, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and whenever he comes back, he will immediately become, if not the best player on the field, certainly one of them. Yeah. You know, he's really, really good at baseball. I think that there's a few things that we need to take into consideration here. One, when he comes back, you know, there's a real chance that they don't immediately slot him in at like center field, for example. I think that there's going to be a certain amount of easing him back in. And that probably means keeping him in right, uh, which may just be the better place to have him anyway. But with the understanding that he also may not be running as much, he might not look quite like the same player. 
because one thing that is absolutely true is that while I think it's fair to expect him earlier than like, again, what you were talking about, that full year timetable, you know, I don't think he's going to come back in July. The, you know, the word that we've, what he's been targeting anyway, and he's kind of circulated around and it's been floating around is that he's targeting a May return, which again is a pretty aggressive timetable, but he's been, the, the workout videos have looked good. Those aren't the types of workouts that you do with a guy that you're concerned that he's having, you know, setbacks or anything like that. He's just building up that strength and, you know, he's a big, strong young guy. So I'm not super concerned about his ability to heal up. It's just kind of, you know, understanding that they go through the process and all of that. Uh, so he, again, he's looked good. I wouldn't be shocked if he's back by like maybe the end of May. It wouldn't shock me to do so. He might, especially starting off, might look a little differently. Like he's a not maybe not as aggressive on the base paths. You know, you, you talk about the rest of this Braves team where, you know, especially with Ron Washington at third, you know, green means go and they're always taking these extra bases. I think that he might be a little bit more careful as he's kind of getting more confidence in that leg. But I, I think he's going to be a big part of the team in 2022. Um, obviously, every time he's on the field, he's liable to do something that we've, if we haven't seen it before, if we've seen it before, it's not by been very often he's you know even with missing the first two months of the season i wouldn't be shocked if he gets mvp votes this year yeah and honestly you know i'm i am gonna try to damp down expectations as i would for any player coming off of a major injury like the one he had but it wouldn't like stun me if he came back even earlier than what you're talking about like you know they're gonna be careful with him for sure but you know people were asking us i know you've seen the tweets that i've seen like can you play can you play opening day it's like well that seems a little bit aggressive i can't imagine that happening but i also don't want to say he it can happen they have not said that it can't happen no one has said he's not playing opening day no one said that yeah well you know i know that there's a lot of reasons to, to, to take that route well, i'm i'm, I'm, with I'm you. gonna go i'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> it does not, not seem likely to I'm me not, I'm, I'm, I'm not making any wagers because i already no. have one wager wager out there about ron <laughs> jr that i'm having to honor but i will say that uh, color me skeptical that that happens i am also skeptical I just especially, to make sure. with a, especially with the spring training that looks like it's going to be a little walk yeah I, I just wanted to just say out loud like they they have they have not said he's not playing at the game this season. um I, I, i'm with wrong. you i'm with you i think it's more like may maybe june but we'll see. Uh, but regardless, like when he comes back, there's no indication that he won't be awesome. Uh, he's never not been awesome, basically. Um, but, you know, he might take a little bit to come, to come back to full strength. And you can't just assume, even though he is kind of Superman, that he's just like the guy that he's always been immediately when he steps on the, on the field. Um, so with that said, like the reason why I want to start there other than just it's Ron Acuna is that, you know, we all know that when he's back, he's in the slot playing every day. That's not up for debate. Um, but um, provided that the DH exists, and I think the assumption is still that it's going to, it's not a foregone conclusion, it's not absolutely happening, but um, if you assume the DH is going to happen, the, Haw uh, the Hawks, the Braves have to fill four spots, because generally, if you look at this roster right now, um, the DH is likely to come from the outfield, um, for the most part, especially when you have the guy we'll talk about next, and Marcelo Zuna, if he's on the team. Um, so, I know, we'll, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Um, but it's just worth noting that, like, Yes, they have some baseball, they have some major league ready players right now. They're available um, for opening day, but it's not even necessarily only the three spots that you have to fill opening day. You, you kind of might have to fill a fourth um, plus depth and beyond that. Like, they're, I mean, you know, we'll get into all these guys in a second, but the fact that they don't have Acuna for sure in April makes it even harder to build out the roster. And they have some roster challenges already in the outfield, but that is one of them because like they'll have a better, better idea than we do. But let's just say this if, they knew or suspected that Ronnie was out until June. That is a different roster building challenge 
than if you thought he was back in April. Like that, that's two months. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like if, if you knew or thought that he might not be back to the all-star break and I'm just, I'm just talking now, this is just a hypothetical. Um, you couldn't go into the season with the same outfield that you might go into the season with, if you thought he was going to be able to play in May, like that's a big difference. So <laughs> covering three weeks of games is very different than covering 12. Yeah. I mean, even three, I mean, even three, three versus eight weeks or whatever, like there's kind of a fine line that they're going to have to walk and they're not going to pressure Ronnie. Cause that's, they know that he's their guy long-term and he's under contract and all that stuff, but they do have to have some planning contingencies in place, which makes it difficult. And we'll talk about part of that now. Um, moving on from, from Ronnie, uh, I'm not doing this in order to make you this mad, Eric, but we're going to talk about more solo Zuna now. Marcelo Zuna um, is 31 years old. He is eligible to play. He is not suspended. He is on the roster. Uh, No one that I talk to wants him to play, uh, including myself, but he is on the team and the money is real. Um, The universal DH is probably going to happen. And if it does, he's better there than he would be in the outfield. But the big thing about Marcelo Zuna is he's under contract for the next three seasons. So about $50 million or so left plus a club option after that. Uh, so that's the number one reason, if you want to find one, that he will be on this team. Um, it's not official. They could trade him. They could do whatever. But um, until they do that, I have to assume, and I think you have to assume as well, that he's on the team. Uh, we'll stop there. Do you have anything else to add? I mean, we talked about him so many times. I'm not even gonna, I have nothing else to add about this, but I don't want him to play. He's on the team. I expect him to play if he's on the team. So just for our listeners, I just wanted to be abundantly clear. There's what I think – should happen and what I think will happen. Yep. Same. What I think should happen is that (laughs) he should not be on the team. I think he should have gotten a longer suspension and I think he should have missed some time. And at least in 2022, I do not want him on the team. I think all of you that were tweeting about how it wasn't so bad that he was choking his wife with a hand because it also had a cell phone in it were repellent. And if I think that your opinion that choking someone with a cell phone in your hand is, is okay is repellent, then you can probably infer my opinions about the person who was actually doing the choking with video that I am certain was available to Major League Baseball and that they still made this decision. It really bothers me. I would do not want him on the team. I sincerely hope the Braves trade him. However, what I think is going to happen, if I'm looking at this objectively, is that he's owed too much money. There's already a concern about losing Freddie Freeman. I'm certain that there's at least a concern about that. And combine that with the money that's owed to Marcelo Zuna and the need for offensive production, I am at least going to entertain the idea that it's likely that he is a member of the 2022 roster. The bigger, one of the bigger concerns beyond the human aspect is that in addition to being owed a lot of money, he hasn't played in a year, basically. Yep. Is coming off a pretty significant injury. I mean, We saw those fingers on that slide and external from all of the other off the field stuff, which I am certain not only brings into question about what this clubhouse thinks of him, what kind of person he is going forward, how he'll interact with fans, but more importantly, has impacted his preparation. He's been playing in winter ball. He's played reasonably well, I think. He's hit a few home runs here and there. You'd think that a guy of his caliber who you know, two seasons ago, almost hit a triple crown in a shortened season, but was not good to start the season last year, is now on a lengthy layoff, 
with a lot of things going on, both in terms of his physical health as well as his off-the-field issues. He's going to get booed a whole bunch when he takes the, takes the field again. Do I think he will be as bad as he was to start the 2021 season? No, I don't. I do think he's a better player than that. I think that his track record speaks to the fact that he will be a better player than that. Is he worth all the headaches that could come with it? Because this is something that doesn't get talked enough about because it can piss me off and it can piss you off <laughs> to the end, to the ends of the earth. If there are players in that clubhouse, particularly certain players in that clubhouse that take issue with having him on that roster, if you think that doesn't matter, I mean, we, 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 we try to turn like clubhouse chemistry almost into a meme at times because, you know, like some guy makes a guy giggle, like he's just like great clubhouse guy and that matters so much. Or, you know, like just because this guy is like a steely glare and can look at a guy and they'll run a little bit faster that he has this all this value in a clubhouse. But when you have a guy who has like domestic violence charges against him and video out there and he was persona non grata since the day he was like, you know, the, all these allegations went on against him. He was not mentioned in, in postseason interviews. He was not uh, featured at all in postseason celebrations, nothing. If you think that there are players in that clubhouse that are not upset about what he did, what he's accused of, and the idea of bringing him back on this roster, you are crazy. And that's the bigger issue I have is that this could really impact the team. He might not be good. He's owed a lot of money. And he's going to be occupying in what is we think is going to be a DH spot that is going to have a lot of value offensively. Like for me, like personally, I don't want him on the team and he should be traded, but there are a lot of really good baseball reasons to do it too. Even if you're like a very forgiving sort and are willing to, you know, ignore all that stuff, right? There's baseball reasons why it may make sense to move him too. So yeah, I, I don't think he's as bad as he was to start the season in terms of like how he'll play and all that stuff but there's some real concerns I have and they have to do with his play on the field as well as kind of what he could impact with the team. Sure. And yeah, all that is, all that is fair. And I think that he, you know, he was very good two years ago. He was a good player before that. The numbers last year on the field were not very good. And I think people, not that they feel forgotten, maybe just something in their mind about, you know, one of the reasons the Braves didn't have to act quicker um, about his, um, you know, the allegations and also what was caught on video is that he was hurt. So he was already away from yep. the team. If that had happened when he was actively playing, like if he had played the previous day or whatever, it would have been a lot, almost, it was already a big um, bleep storm. It would have been an even bigger one if he had been playing because uh, he was already hurt and that kind of gave them some cover and they got, you know, quote unquote lucky, if you want to put it that way in terms of having to deal with it. But um, some, some other players in some bigger markets having their own problems certainly helped his cause yeah. a little bit too. So all that, all that said, like he hasn't played since May 25th. It's a long time. He had a 73 WRC plus last year and still under 400. So, so like what you said, like, there's no reason to think he's bad at baseball. Like he may, he may be, it's not impossible that he's just done, but you know, two years ago, he was obscenely good. His baseline for his career is probably more realistic. And that's a 115 WRC plus and a slugging in the mid, in the mid four hundreds. That's a pretty good valuable DH in particular. Um, but even if you, have to, if you have to play him in the outfield, you know, it's he's, he's probably at least a solid starting level core outfielder. If he's a, um, a good hitter and a bad fielder, that's kind of what you would expect in left field for what it is. So, you know, we like the contract, all that stuff. If you remove the, and you can't do this again, you cannot do this, but if you took away all of the off field stuff, um, you know, you probably feel fine about him filling a roster spot for what he's making. It's not like a great contract, nor is it a terrible one, 
Um, it's just the fact that you have to deal with everything else. And um, we both don't want him to be on the team, but the money is going to maybe drive the factors on this. And uh, we'll see. It wouldn't surprise, it still wouldn't surprise me if they traded him. I just don't think, I mean, think about it this way. If you're another, if you're another team, do you want to trade Marcelo in right now? The answer is probably no. <laughs> Unless you're one of the, maybe the Mets. Uh, who seem to? Uh, I mean, I'm sure a, that I'm sure there are teams. There are teams that are probably more um, willing to take the PR hit than others. But if hey, you they, just combine, they, 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 had, they, they had no problems bringing back Jose Reyes. That's yeah, all I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like if, if you combine the uh, contract, it's not like it's a huge bargain. I mean, at, at minimum, he's appropriately paid, I would say. And then you factor in age. You factor in he wasn't great last year. He's a limited defender. And then, of course, the big domino of his the PR hit that you're going to take if you trade for him. Um, it's not as if Anthopoulos, if he's not empowered to cut him, which I don't think he is, or he would have already done it, by the way, I don't think that ownership slash McGurk, whoever you want to say it is, is going to let Anthopoulos just cut him and pay him. Um, so if you take that off, off the table as an option, because it would have, again, I think it would have already happened if it was if it was the case, you probably can't trade him for without paying a ton of his salary and getting nothing back. And that's okay. I'd rather them do that personally, but I don't know just before. I think there's a lot of like, just trade them as a sentiment out there. And I totally get it. I don't think that's a super easy thing to do as all I'll say. Yeah. That, that people think that they can trade them and get something valuable back. And that's, I, not that's not happening. Uh, I'll say this. I'll say this right now. They're not going to be able to trade him for any kind of value. I will be stunned if that happened. If they trade him, it's them paying probably half a salary and taking a PR hit anyway. Um, and just hoping to get him off the roster, I would, I would guess. I mean, bring this back, Eric. If, remind me if uh, later on, if they're, if they're able to trade him for a package that is a good baseball return, I will eat crow on that. But I would be floored if that happened. So you're gonna, are you gonna actually eat crow, or are we like we'll, putting real terms on this? We'll, we'll, we'll do something. We'll do something uh, stupid. But I'm, there's, there's not. I mean, you know, this is, there's not, there's no chance they're doing. This. There's no other. There's no way they're getting an actual baseball return for him. They're not. No, I'm just going to, I'm just sorry. I'm just looking at the timestamp on this episode. Okay. Yeah. Just make sure I mark it it down. It's fine. Uh, We're good. At any rate, let's move on. I don't want to talk about him anymore, but let's just say this. If he's on the team, he's going to play. Do you agree on that? I I do agree on that. And I, he will be the DH. Yeah. If the DH exists, it makes your life a little bit easier because that's obviously what he should be doing from a baseball standpoint. Um, If it doesn't exist, I still think he's going to be your starting left fielder um, just because of the money he's owed. And presumably, now likely, yeah. we're not going to assume because baseball is so screwed up. And if we talked about before with Rob Manfred, I am going to hope that the that the Braves and every other team know if they have a DH or not as they go to the roster. <laughs> not, it's not yeah. a given. Not no, a given. it's not. No, not at all. But uh, I would hope for the sake of Anthopolis that he's at least aware of the rules before uh, free agency opens again. We'll see. All right. So get that out of the way. The other guy on the roster right now, that uh, we know is a major league level hitter is Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall yes. has been tendered. He's not gotten his finalized salary through arbitration yet, but it's going to be like nine, 10 million, something like that for one season. He's 33 years old now, so he's not a spring chicken, but he's been an above average hitter in five of the last seven seasons. He has a career slugging at 473. He's obviously a hot and cold guy, and that's um, we've kind of always ridden for Adam Duvall as a uh, underrated player. I still believe that he's a pretty good defender. He can play some center field as he was last year at times. He's a very valuable rotational piece, but Adam Duvall is not a star. He's not someone that, um, the Braves have even loved to get, just give every single day at bats to. And at the moment, 
if you factor in Ozuna, he's your third best outfielder. And that includes Ronald Acuna, who again might miss part of the season. Um, if you there's a there's a scenario opening day where he's your best outfielder on the roster right now because Acuna won't be playing probably, and then Ozuna might be traded. So that's where yeah. we are. <laughs> if, they, if, if, if they don't make any signings, yeah, you're Which right. Which they will. I mean, obviously they're not going to do nothing else, but Adam Duvall is like pretty clearly, as far as April is concerned, he is your safety net guy you can trust on the team right now. Oof, oof. Right, for, for April. I mean, I'm not, I mean, am I uh, wrong? No, no, you're not. You're No, you're not wrong. It's more saying it out loud makes me die inside a little bit. But yeah, okay, I'm with you. Yep. And he, I mean, okay, with that I would, with that I would describe Adam Duvall is that if Adam Duvall is your third outfielder, you're fine. If he's your fourth outfielder, you're overjoyed. That's what I would say about Adam Duvall. If he's your top outfielder? Correct. And that's what I mean. Adam yeah. Duvall is a good player. Um, we, we Again, we have been very pro Adam Duvall, especially when he yes. was getting lamb, like, lamb-basted early in, his, early in his tenure after the first trade. Um, we lost, I, was, I lost my mind when they didn't tender him last year. I thought that was a terrible decision. We proved to be right on that. Um, but Adam Duvall is not someone who you want to you know, fully rely on as like a top five, six guy in your lineup every single day, if you can help it. Um, so, you know, he's a good player. I think that if I had to bet right now, if he starts opening day, I would say yes, just because of the factors in play. Like you factor in Ronnie, you factor in the fact that he can play center field in a pinch. Uh, I think he projects to be a starting outfielder on opening day. If I had to guess it was, that's not a guarantee, but if he's healthy, it's more likely than not that he's starting. Yeah. I mean, if we assume a world where we kind of think the signings and the situation with Azuna goes the way we think it's going to go, like it's pretty clear that Duval will at least be playing starting on opening day. Yep. You know, whether it's in right or left or even in center. Uh, I will say that while he certainly has made starts in center field, color me unconvinced that he should be playing that position based on some I mean, of the reads that he was. Eric, he played, center field, he played center field in the playoffs. <laughs> that happened. Yeah, I, no, he, 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 he did. Uh, that was primarily because if you're playing Eddie Rosario or Jorge Soler in center field in the World Series, you are committing actual malpractice. But, yeah. Uh, and, you know, when some of the reads that Adam Duvall was taking on some of those fly balls, he didn't look a whole lot better at times. But I, I do think he's a, he's like a good corner outfielder defender. Yep. Um, you know, those three weeks of the season – you know, they're usually scattered around, but those three weeks where he is turns into Babe Ruth, you can't get him out and he's hitting the ball 500 feet. Love to see it. <laughs> you know, it, that those, those are really, really fun. He's certainly a streaky guy. Uh, and when he's bad, he's quite bad. And he'll strike out a whole bunch and be upsetting. But overall, like, he, this is a guy that's going to be on the team. He's already been tendered a contract. They got it right this time. They're going to pay a little bit more this time uh, as opposed to what they were going to have to pay for him for last year if they just tendered him a contract. You know, there's a lot of, you know, speculation just, you know, like how, how hamstrung the, the Braves were financially going into the season and all that stuff. So I imagine that coming off a World Series run that, you know, we might not see as much of that. I, you know, everyone has the right to be pretty pissed off if that doesn't, ha- if that happens. But, you know, he'll, he'll be a solid piece. And if your outfield going into, you know, opening day is something like Adam Duvall, Christian Pache in center, and then maybe signing one of the other guys that, you know, for, from the playoff run, whether that's, whether that's Rosario or Soler or whoever, I have feelings about who that should be or who it would be for me. But if you're doing that on opening day, you're not particularly upset, consider, especially if you've signed back Freddie and your infield is as good as you think it's going to be. So, you know, it, 
Duvall is not going to be the guy that's going to make your lineup bad. If that makes any sense, it's oh, he'll be sure. he'll, he'll he'll be fine. Sometimes he'll be awesome. Yeah, like I said before, you know, Adam Duvall is a guy you have to take the the, the holistic approach on. You cannot judge him on two week samples, pro or con. Like he's a guy that you have to just play. Uh, and you know, if you want to sit against a righty every once in a while, I totally get that. But um, I think he you know is a safe bet to be a league average or better hitter. He's a league average better defender, and that's a usually a good combination to be pretty good. And that's what Adam Duvall is. So, yep, defensively he can even be better than that. So, a lot oh yeah, no, he, he's a good. He's even, a, even, I think he's, I think even, he's pretty even, darn good in the corner. Honestly, I really do. Yeah, like he's, when he has those zero for sixteen stretches with eleven strikeouts. He'll at least be catching the balls that he's supposed to be catching in the corner. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't that, think that, he that is like uh, Jason Hayward in in the corner outfield spot, but uh, no, he not, is uh, he is good. He's a good defender, I think, in the corner and in center. I agree with you. It's more of an emergency situation, but he can do that, and there's some value in that. Okay, so after those three, there is a bit of a drop in terms of certainty. Maybe not, maybe not in terms of talent, but in terms of like projection. Uh, we'll start with the very boring guy in terms of on the field, and that's Guillermo Heredia, who's on the team for a million dollars. Boring on the field. That's why I said on the field. <laughs> okay, on the field. I on the field. I agree with that. There's a reason why I said on the field. That was the only reason why I said that because uh, he's not boring off the field. He's very funny, uh, and the clubhouse presence is well documented. But he is uh, for a million dollars back as a fifth outfielder type. And the way that I wrote it down was with vibes because he's got great vibes. Um, he's not a very good hitter. Uh, he's a decent defender and can play some center field. Um, he has been above replacement level in, in, in terms of like war for the last several seasons, but not very, not by much. He's just a, he's a bench guy is what he is. Um, the vibes are there and I, I like the contract. It's a million dollars. That's what you should be paying for that kind of guy, but you don't want to have to start him very much is all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's the guy that spells your top three guys every once in a while, that's completely fine. He certainly yep. won't kill you defensively. Can play all three positions out there. Uh, provide some energy. I don't even think like they when they were having to play him a lot last year. Like it was clear like he got he either had to go on the IL or he had to take some time off because he was just he was like fatigued. Like he he actually can't play a lot <laughs> if that makes any sense. He plays better when he's you know not playing a whole ton. So you know for a million bucks you get. A, a guy who really helps out your clubhouse, you as a defensive replacement, perfectly reasonable. Uh, that doesn't matter as much anymore. It's worth noting because uh, you're not switching in for pitchers. Uh, yep. You know, well, I say that I say that we are crossing our fingers and toes. That this is the yes, case. It's the where those kinds of, so your bench isn't as big of a deal. But having a guy like Heredia, if you're needing, especially if you're thinking about bringing back a guy like Jorge Soler, for example. Uh, you may still want to do defensive replacements in that particular scenario. And in which case, having a guy like Heredia, who is a good defender, uh, he's not all world, but he's good. And you having that kind of guy on your bench is perfectly reasonable. So no, yep. no, no thoughts there beyond the, if he's playing a lot, that means the Braves are probably in trouble, which is exactly what happened last year. Yeah. There were some, there were some outfield, outfield deployments in the middle of last season that were uh, dire. Abraham Almonte. Yeah, and her but Heredia was fine, and again, he's the fifth outfielder on the team. You would hope, um, and you have to have a guy like that, and and you know having a guy like that that also gives you clubhouse vibes and keeps it light and uh, can play defense is a pretty strong combination. So we'll leave it there, but he is at least around. And then we get into a segment Love that you're, you're 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 going to carry a little bit, uh, and that is the young guys um, who are on the team, uh, at least around the team. They're in the organization. And talented, high upside guys, but are uh, varying levels of uncertain. Um, and they are in no order: Christian Pache, Drew Waters, and even Michael Harris. We're getting questions about. I'm going to save those for the end because he's obviously the first away. 
But uh, Pache, you know, still elite, still an elite defender at a premium position in center field. He's 23 years old, but uh, I would say he's been genuinely horrible at the plate in limited time in the majors. Um, his WRC plus in the major leagues is negative six. It's a small sample size. That's the thing you could say no, about no, it. Is no, uh, no, very good. It's, yeah. it's not good. And even at AAA, and this is something that you will definitely have to tell me more about than I would be able to know. But even AAA last season, his numbers were pedestrian. They're not terrible, but he had an OPS in like the mid 700s at AAA, which is not going to blow you away for a top end prospect. Um, he was better in AA before that, but um, you know the bat is a, the bat is a genuine question mark. And then you get into Waters, who has not even debuted yet. Obviously, Pache has been up before. Um, Waters, I'll let you uh, clear out for you to give an overall scouting report. He was he was pretty bad in AAA last year too. His numbers are not very good in like a pretty big sample size in AAA. He was better in AA, but he had a 7.10 OPS in AAA last season. So those two guys will group together. Eric, uh, tell me more about what you think about these guys, their potential to contribute this season. Pacha having been up and been closer, but Waters is they're basically the same age. So uh, people get always ask us about them. So it's time to talk about them. So I'm going to talk about the most likely to be on the roster on opening day down to the least likely. Uh, Pache is the most likely to guy, uh, and it's for a number of reasons. One, he's already on the 40-man roster. That gets through one very big hurdle in terms of service time, et cetera, et cetera. Two, yes, those 72 plate appearances in the major leagues have not been good. It's worth mentioning he was a part of the playoff run in 2020. He was better in that. He was better in the in, during that playoff run when he was actually playing. He had some key hits. He actually he actually produced a bit at the plate, was drawing some walks, and considering the fact that he hadn't played at all in the major league level, I mean, at least appreciably before that, that was nice to see. Um, in terms of what he did at AAA, you know, after he was, you know, obviously not good at the plate in the major leagues, then goes and then gets hurt. And then immediately after that, he wasn't particularly great at the plate in Gwinnett. I will say that like the last couple months of the season down at AAA were significantly better for him in terms of just like consistently driving balls rather than either like trying to hack the ball out of the ballpark or, you know, then all of a sudden turning into kind of a, a slap hitter. You know, he, he it just never felt like he had a consistent approach at the plate. It felt like he was his timing was way off. He was more on time later on in the season. It seemed like he had figured some things out. So overall, I think in terms of proximity and kind of the progress that he made, I feel decent about Pache certainly being better than what he was in those 72 plate appearances. I mean, again, you know, a, a WRC plus of negative six is pretty bad. So <laughs> I'm not going to like discount that, but I do think he'll be better than that. And he's still an amazing defender out there. Of the options that they would have, you know, especially to play center field, Pache would be my guy. Waters is an interesting case because, one, he was dealing with an injury, especially early on in the season last year. It was, it was an oblique, I think. And there was also a situation where he has always had approach issues at the plate, and it felt like the, the adjustments that he was making at the plate this year made that problem worse because it felt like he was guessing the pitches correctly, but the decision-making wasn't good. Like it felt like the pitches that he thought he could do damage on and was guessing were not pitches that he should be swinging at. Like that's a, that's a slider. I know it's a slider. I can hit that slider. That third part was the problem because he couldn't hit it. It was diving out of the zone or diving at his back foot or, you know, or he then all of a sudden he getting pitchers counts and it just, it felt like the decision-making wasn't there and he wasn't understanding what pitches he needed to try to turn on and other ones either he needed to try to lay off of, or at least foul off or whatever. Like just the approach to what to do, even if he has the information as to what pitch he has, was not lining up with the decisions that were being made as to what to do with them. 
Um, Michael Harris, but I will say though, in Drew Waters' defense here, one, he's a very, very talented guy, and that if he can get his hit tool figured out at all, he has he has been drawing more walks, you know, does has been seeing more deep counts, and in terms of raw tools, he's right up there with Pache. He's a strong arm. He's a guy that can play center. Does have power, even though it didn't show much in AAA. Uh, I will say that AAA was a bit weird last year for a number of players uh, across the league, so I'm not going to necessarily pick on Pache and Waters. Um, and more importantly, he was added to the rule, added to the 40-man roster because to protect him from the Rule Five draft. So that's one hurdle to him being on the the major league roster that has currently been overcome by him. Uh, I think he'll have to hit a good bit at AAA for that to happen, but he's a talented enough guy where that wouldn't shock me. The one that would shock me is Michael Harris. One, he's yeah. only 20 years old. He's only 20 years old right now. Even I know this one, Eric. Even, even I have an opinion on that. I, I have no opinions on Manly guys generally, but I was, uh, I got, we got multiple questions. I know you saw probably the same ones about this reason why we were talking about this is because people were actually asking us if he is an option and uh, you know, he's, he's really good, but he's, he's not, he's not quite there. I don't think he's, he's very, very good. Uh, he has a lot of raw power. We haven't seen that as much in games. Uh, I really like the play discipline in a lot of ways. There are still some things about off-speed pitches on the outside part of the plate that sometimes he gets got. And that's just something that he needs to work on. You can keep in mind his first full season of full season ball was last year. And he's already, if he's not the top prospect in the Braves farm system, he's in the top three. And if anyone has him outside of that, I have questions. So I'll just say that he is very, very good. I would not be shocked if he has a bit of a breakout season next year, but I still think that the most likely thing that happens is that he'll start the season at double a he'll probably play well there. He might hit his way to triple a unless he's absolutely knocking the brains out of the ball and the Braves have a knee in their outfield. The likelihood is that if he debuts it, when he debuts, it'll be 2023. And by the way, that is not bad debuting as a 22 year old. I know we're a little bit spoiled because of Ronnie, but that is still very quick, especially for a guy who wasn't a full-time position player in high school to do what he does. And with his skill set, is pretty special. And the guy works crazy hard. He's a lot of fun. Uh, he can play all three outfield positions Love the hit tool, love the raw power. I wish, hope it shows up more out in games. Just needs to work on a few things here and there, but he could be fun. Yeah, I mean, I obviously have not seen him nearly as much as you have, but uh, all indications are very positive. Uh, it's just worth noting that, like, I think you mentioned it in there. Like, you can't compare anybody to Ron Acuna, so like, you cannot assume he's going to be a star at 21, 22 in the major leagues. Just not what's going to happen, probably. It's possible, I guess, but uh, yeah, that 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 would be great. It would it'd be cool, uh, no question. But yeah. I mean, he's not played above what high A right now is the or is the is the he played he's a full, he he played a full season of high A. Yeah, so generally, guys, not not again, not impossible. Generally, guys do not go from high A to the majors within a year. Uh, that doesn't always. Ronnie got really close. Ronnie got very close, and uh, didn't Andrew Jones do that? I think he did at one point, but he was he, he was. Yeah, I th- he, I'm pretty sure he. I'm pretty sure he just called got called straight up in Double A. That was that was a long time ago. But um, regardless, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Alex Wood, Alex Wood as well. Alex Wood though was a wasn't he a college pitcher? Like, isn't that it's, it's a yeah. little different, isn't it? I mean, I mean didn't, it is a little. Was it wasn't like Joey? Like, wasn't Joey Divine? Wasn't Joey Divine like basically almost straight from college? We, 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 don't, we, we, don't, we, we don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't talk about those. We don't talk about I those know. Years. Okay. So all that said, um, I mean, the the real thing is like what else they do, which we'll get into in a second. Um, 
I'm trying to figure out what the likelihood is that Pache open, opens in the majors. And I, I don't really know the answer because it's really entirely predicated on what else they do. Um, I, I'm a fan generally of giving guys that are young and talented rope. And I don't think it would be fair to just bring Pache up and like play him like sometimes uh, I want to see him play, but you know, the, the shines off to some extent with the bat. It's just what it is, but I don't know. It really will depend on what else there is, and we'll get into that now. But, uh, I mean, is there a scenario in your mind of which Waters is on the team in April? <laughs> the scenarios that exist are not good. Okay, that's why that – that's, that's, I mean, I, I'm saying, like, as a plan. I, I, I'm saying I, I, as I, a plan. I, as a plan, no, I don't see that happening. I, I agree. Again, unless, unless, like, Ozuna is no longer on the team and or hurt, and Adam Duvall is – yeah, I'm saying I'm saying no like beyond beyond Ronnie, no other major injuries. There's not a path for Waters to be on the roster. Pache, Pache, Pache was better at AAA. He's been just he has more upside. He's also he's safer defender because the defense. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's just yeah, what it yeah, is. Like yeah, like Pache does not have to hit to have some semblance of value on the baseball field. You can you can at least theoretically. I'm not saying this is a great idea, but you can at least theoretically defend a world in which. With the DH in particular, you just start Pache in center and bat him ninth and live with it. Um, that's not the worst yep. thing in the world. You can do that. There's some value in that. And so we'll come back to this later on, but I wouldn't always talk about those guys because those are all the internal options. So basically overall right now, the situation with the Braves outfield is that they have one superstar uh, who is not going to be ready probably early on in the season. Then they have two guys who I would describe as you know, opening day level starters on a baseball team. Um, and that's Ozuna, of course, not great in terms of fun, but he is a star level player. And then Duvall. And then you have a bench only guy in Heredia. And then you have prospects, uh, all of which are uncertain, but uh, two of the three that we talked about are not even uh, close to, the, at least they've not been in the majors just yet. Pache has been up and struggled. So it's obviously not an opening day ready uh, group of players. If you can help it for a contending team, they want to have more than this. And I think they're going to almost certainly do something else. Um, my operating assumption, I wonder if you agree with this, Eric, is that they are going to acquire at least one starting caliber outfitter and maybe two more. I don't know if it's going to be signings or trades, but uh, it will floor me if they don't at least acquire one more guy that they can reasonably start an opening day. Agree or disagree. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I think they have to, they're, they're going to acquire at least one more, possibly two. Uh, I have thoughts on how two should work if I was making the decisions, but at least one. Yeah, and I also think that uh, if it's uh, – <laughs> we'll keep our streak alive. We'll talk about Freddie Freeman briefly. Um, it's also – there's also a if Freddie's on the team versus Freddie's not on the team scenario. That's a – yep, because then, uh, then all of a sudden how much money you have is a little bit Correct. Different. It's yep. a lot different if you don't have – a $30 million first baseman, but we'll save that for later. Uh, the three incumbent guys are, of course, Rosario, Soler, and Jock Peterson. They're all free agents. They're all still free agents. Um, we talked about those guys a lot, so I don't really have much to add other than just to say that um, it's a little bit tougher to sign Jorge Soler to a deal that he would accept while also having Ozuna on the team because they are very similar in terms of strengths and weaknesses. That'd be my only point. I think Soler is a guy you would, you would rather DH than not, and if you have Ozuna on the team, that's the same problem you're having, you're, that you're having. I'll actually go one step further and ask you this. If, let's say that they figure out this, the CBA, you know, and that there's the, the 
the period of trans you can make transactions again. Do you think the Braves, if the Braves were to sign Jorge Soler, like that's their first move? <laughs> what's the odds that Marcelo Zuna's on the team? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question, but I'll, I'll also yeah. answer it. My 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 immediate response would be to ask you. Uh, I mean, is there any scenario they're going to do that and not have a plan for Azuna already? That's the, that. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Well, I think that the they I, could here's, do it. Here's, they could. They, they, they could. I don't think it'd be a good idea. No, me think, me either. Just because, uh, just because, like, if you're spending again, I'm assuming Solaire is going to cost some money, like some real money, not, not, not he, nothing he, crazy. He's coming, off, he's, but, he's coming off a World Series MVP. Yeah, he has he's going to get. He, I mean, he has a 48 money. home run season. He's, someone's going to pay him, give him like a two or three year deal, right? Sure. And, nothing, and because, nothing, because of that, it, okay, I'll say this. If you have a DH and you know it, if they know the DH is in place, yes. you can DH get away with happening. it. You can get away with it. Now, I still don't think it's the greatest idea, but if you know you I'm have the DH, the likely, you can do it. What do you think What do you think the likelihood is that Ozuna is on the team in that scenario? Well? It goes down. I mean, I think it has yeah, to yeah. just because of the, the common sense of it all. I, I just... The DH factor is huge. If if you don't have a DH, I think there's a zero percent chance that they have Soler and and Ozuna both on the team. Because like, how do See, you even I, do that? I what I think is the most likely scenario is that the only way that the Braves bring back Jorge Soler is if the DH is in existence. Well, it should. Right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. And now, and, it, it, okay, I, I, one he, one quick counter to that. I do think that you could construct a scenario where Ozuna is not on the team, and you have Soler with no DH. That that I, I can see. I could see it happening. I think it's more likely that they would put Rosario in that spot than Soler. Well, I mean, it that's might not be up to them. That's the thing. I mean, obviously, well, it's not, that, it's not that, one that, side. That, 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 that is the problem, right? It's all about the market, but, really, at the end of the day. That's and that's fair. why there's so much uncertainty with this conversation because, number one, we're in the dark ages of in terms of, like, what's going on in the market. But, yeah. you know, there's always, uh, you know, it's not a yes or no with the Braves. Like, they have to beat other offers and entice these guys to come back and, I mean, yes, they won the World Series with these guys, but they're not like wedded to the city of Atlanta where they're going to take like these huge hometown discounts either. Like it is what it is. But. No, 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 it's completely fine. I will say that the least likely guy to come back, I think, is Jock Peterson. I agree. Which is, I think, I think, we said the same thing after the season, and it's just, it's, it's a fit a thing. It's a fit thing. It's a performance thing. Like he was, he was the worst of the threes as well. Um, you know, we'll never forget Jocktober. It, it's yeah. Fine. Now, the, the I guess the one counterpoint to that, and number one, I I agree with you. Is that perhaps there's a scenario where his market dries up, and the other and the other two guys get overpaid, get like real big contracts that are like you know people buying high on them, and maybe Jock doesn't have that happen, and the Braves get a, a better discount on him. That is conceivable to me, but I'd be surprised I, if they I, pay I, Jock like market value. I would be kind of surprised if there was a bidding war for Rosario and or Soler because they weren't a part of that group of players where the bidding wars were happening if that makes any sense right like that batch of players before the cutoff before the cba expire if they were going to kind of get overpaid i felt like that i kind of feel like that would have happened already. i, I tend Does to agree sense? but also there's going to be a free-for-all i mean because of the way this is constructed <laughs> yeah there, the, there, the, there might be there run, might be a two-week yeah. there might be there might be a 10-day two-week complete free-for-all and that can screw some stuff in the, in the market too so we'll save uh, that for what wrong. happens but uh there's just so much uncertainty Pretty excited I think that all three guys could return. Um, they want all three together to return, I should say. I think at least the door would be open to any of the three coming back. 
I think that it's hard to say who, it's hard to say what they'll make. Um, and the Solaire thing with Ozuna is a factor. Um, and it's worth noting that none of those three guys are very good defensively. You know, Rosario made a great play in de- on defense in the World Series. <laughs> well, he he made a play look a lot better. I than understand. It was. We thought we talked about this too, but I I don't think that I don't think that any of them are like completely untenable defensively. Even Solaire is like he's not as bad as Ozuna. For instance, he's just not like, gonna he's just not gonna make great plays. He'll, he's he'll not very, he's not very good. But if he's your worst defender, he's in left field. It's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. Um, he's better than Ozuna defensively, I think, at this stage, given Ozuna's arm falling off, basically. Um, <laughs> I I think it's fair for me to guess that if Freddie Freeman resigns, then at least one of those guys is coming back. I think. I, I think would hope so. Is. I mean, because uh, here's but the if thing. he's not, then yeah. I don't think any of them are. I think that they have to go find a bat. Well, they have to go. Yeah, yeah, they have to go through a whole plan about what they're going to do um, if Freddie leaves, which is what we're talking about for a while. We'll come back to if we need to. Um, we should at least mention the other options that are not signed as outfielders. Um, there are a couple of big name, high price guys that are probably only going to be options if Freddie leaves, and that's Chris Bryant and Nick Castellanos. Those guys are going to get so much money that I don't see the Braves doing that without Freddie leaving. But you know, I, I happen to be wrong. I, I would love for them to sign with uh, sign Chris Bryant to a huge contract. That'd be fun um, with Freddie, but it's not likely to me. I don't think. Uh, I'm gonna call it and call that unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, there's a tier of like Kyle Schwarber, who's probably a better as a DH, um, but a guy who can play core outfield as a left-handed bat. Um, you have Suzuki is available, who's gonna be posted. Um, Michael Conforto, Tommy Pham, uh, of the veteran options like an Andrew McCutcheon. He's pretty old, but was pretty good last season. Corner outfield guy. So uh, notably, none of those guys are center fielders. So, I mean, you can put Conforto out there in center. You can play and, him uh, there, but like it's that's kind of like playing Adam Duvall there. Like you, you and can, more do it. he he, and more importantly, Conforto is going to get enough money. Where are you really? Want, is that what you mean? I don't know. I'm I'm not the biggest Michael Conforto fan. I looked uh, at I, I looked at all of the lists that I could come up with, and those I just named all of the guys who I would describe as guys who you could just say this is a starter for you. Like there are some other guys who are like platoon pieces or fourth outfielder types, but the yeah, list of three agents that are actually starting caliber. Um, and again, you have to also add in Rosario and Solaire, at least if not all three of those guys in this list, but there's only seven or eight guys available that are not signed that are free agents that I think are like definite starters. So, and, and you, and there's even a couple of guys like, like McCutcheon, for example, you really have to kind of like, you're looking at where he is now. He's old. And see yeah. how much he's, he's, he's like, you have to think that, like, you have to be kind of thinking a little bit of time travel, right? Like, it's not the same guy. Well, he's he's 35, and, like, yeah, you can't treat him as, like, the guy he was in Pittsburgh. I think he's still a starter. Like, he had about an 800 OPS last season. Um, but Better than you'd think he was, yeah. Yeah, he was pretty good, but it wasn't like he was great. And you can't expect him to play a full season and all that stuff, too. So, um, all that I, – I did that exercise partly to just look at it like, look, we know the Braves have to do something else. And there are not that many guys. So like trades are even harder to predict, but you know, I think it's almost as likely that they, that they have to trade for somebody than they actually sign someone. So. Yep. Yep. Pretty excited to hear all these Mitch Henniger uh, trade proposals again. Those were a little fun the first time around. It never, it never ends. And uh, as we've said a number of times, um, what is the biggest trade Anthopolis has ever made in terms of prospect capital? Uh, yeah. at this point Eric? <laughs> yeah yep uh joey wentz going to the Detroit tigers for one that, shane that, green uh, that, and that was the highest guy on your list that was that was that's been traded uh yeah he was number 11 or 12 that's the highest yeah so uh in the anthopolis era at least according to the best prospect list which is 
TC's prospect list. Uh, the Braves oh, have never the, seg- the, the segue. I love they have it. never they have never traded a top ten prospect on the list for any deal, even this year. And this is not a criticism of Anthopolis. Obviously, it was a home run grand slam deadline in which they turned a lot of flotsam into a completely revamped outfield. But they have never done the, even the, the, anything approaching an all-in trade. They, they, they just don't do the, that. The World Series MVP was acquired at the trade deadline for a reliever that was in high A. And there you go. Uh, so, yeah, we know the outfield's going to have to get better, I guess, in, in conclusion. They have some guys who are a part of the core in the outfield. The Ozuna thing will get resolved, whether he's in or out. We'll find that out at some point. Uh, Acuna hopefully be back as soon as he safely can be. And then they have work to do. That's the uh, synopsis of the outfield. Um, before we get out of here, Eric, uh, I think it's uh, at least a little birdie told me that it's uh, it's about to be prospect list time. Uh, you, can you can you confirm this? Are we about to roll something out that's going to break people's brains? I, I can confirm that it will not be coming out this week. It'll be coming out next week. But Garav, Garrett, Matt, Wayne, and myself have compiled our preseason top thirty prospect list. In addition to the honorable mentions, uh, that list has already been compiled. Where I'm just having to finish up polishing up the articles, uh, adding some write ups in there, and, you know, intros and all that stuff. So it is it the, it has been run. We have done all the voting. Uh, it's certainly very interesting. Uh, we continue to be gathering more and more information. Uh, and I imagine that as we get this list turned out, as soon as we turn it out, we're probably going to start changing our minds and want to move guys up and down just because that's just the way we are about these things. But yep. So not this coming week, but the week of the, of the week of the 16th of January, we will start rolling out our preseason top 30 prospect lists. Also, if you're, and that'll be over on talkingchop.com. There will be a road to Atlanta podcast after that list is rolled out where we talk about what the what we thought about the list overall kind of our thoughts on the guys who have gone up and down um in addition to kind of you know a little bit of kind of some review type information where that was a lot of in our like our review series of minor league guys we're also having two different series coming out well i say series they're gonna be kind of more just kind of feature type things that we're gonna be doing over on the site one we're gonna be talking about the guys who are on the currently on the hall of fame ballot that used to play for the braves uh, or at least that are eligible and then we also are going to be talking about the get some potential free agent targets of the guys who are left on the free agent markets, guys who exist that may be of note. And we talk about why or why not they could be fit for the Bra- fits for the Braves and why. Uh, and that's going to be rolling out over the next month or so, kind of filling in the, the gaps while we're waiting for the league and the players association to get their acts together. So make sure you keep an eye on the site, particularly next week, because that's when the prospect list is rolling out but also for the kind of those additional kind of little bundles of information for you guys as we kind of start rolling into the season. Yeah. It's obviously a, a must read each and every time that you guys do a list also must listen when you talk about it at road to Atlanta on the same podcast feed. So if you subscribe to the show, you get this podcast, which again has 330 plus episodes um, largely with myself, Eric and or Scott Um you also get Road to Atlanta, which is the minor league focused podcast, which is awesome. And then uh, Daily Hammer with Sean has been great this entire uh, offseason so far. They've been, uh, Sean's been cranking through an episode or two per week, and that's been uh, keeping us afloat. So it's a great time to subscribe, even, even during this down period. We've had great support, so we really appreciate it. But please tell your friends, our Braves fans, and I'm sure they will like it. And uh, also check out the site because the written content has not stopped. Chris is uh, cracking the whip, keeping the site going. In this, uh, in this down he period. He's definitely cracking the whip, for sure. It's, it's, what, he, it's what he does. He's, he's, uh, yeah. he's great at running sites. I've worked for him two different places. That's just what happens. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Eric, any final thoughts before we sign off on January 9th? 
Resign Freddie Freeman. That'd be cool. I would appreciate that. Um, yeah, that's it for uh, that's it for this show. Um, programming note in terms of the TC podcast, we, we did just talk about Road to Atlanta coming in the next you know week and a half or so. Um, I'm traveling next weekend, so probably not next Sunday, but every couple weeks during this down period, and then once something's happening again, we'll go back to like an every week kind of format. But we're checking in regularly, let's just say. So please subscribe. That's the best way to find the podcast. And uh, we'll have another show in the near future. And we'll see you all next time.